Welcome leaders for equity, allyship, and diversity. If you didn't guess it before, yes, that spells lead, L-E-A-D. This is a very special episode of the Leading People First podcast. If you are frustrated, saddened, bewildered, disgusted, or feeling any other emotions due to the hate, violence, inequity, and injustice in our society, you are not alone. A group of awesome leaders got together and banded to do something about it, and we have formed the group LEAD. We are hosting weekly events to allow leaders to come together, discuss, learn, share, activate, and empower to make a difference in this world. What you're about to listen to is some of the discussion from this meeting and a presentation by the amazing Sarah Phelps. If you're unaware of Sarah's work, go connect with her right now on LinkedIn. If you want to learn more and be empowered to act, you all just have to join us next week. We meet every Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. That's 4.30 p.m. Pacific. Listen to the end to get a little bit more information. Now get ready to come together and lead, and let's dive on in. I am super excited to have everybody here. I mean, talk about timing, right? So this conversation could not come at a better time. And so I have a huge announcement to make. Um, we finally came up with the final name for the name of this group. We were kind of going around and throwing some ideas around and things are evolving, you know, where we're kind of just, we put our hearts into this and we're gonna go run with it. But so now we are the lead team and all of you are included in there, by the way. So it lead, L-E-A-D stands for Leaders for Equity, Allyship and Diversity. So future events, you will see um, thank you for the claps. We're really excited about that name. And we've kind of got this sort of language going on between us that be leaders and you capitalize the LEAD and ERS. So, you know, look, we've got six administrators that are sort of putting this group together. We're all volunteering our time. All the speakers are volunteering their time. They're really here for the reason that we really believe in what we're doing. And so I can't be honored to introduce our speaker for today. So I just like just a couple of rules I just want to go over, you know, we went over this last time, but we absolutely will not tolerate incivility at any of these calls. We come here with an open heart. We want to be respectful. Feel free to share your opinions and we might disagree with each other. That's okay. That's real life, but we still have to be respectful during all of those situations. So really, those are the only rules we're asking you to follow. I say be vulnerable. We are really trying to create a space where we can have these conversations a courageous space, you know, feel free to share. We saw that happening last week. It was magic, right? It's Vulnerability is one of those things that is contagious, right? One person opens up and pretty soon everyone feels comfortable to share. So we really want to create a welcoming environment for all people, right? We are, we're really open to everybody being here. The other thing I'm going to say is, look, you know, we. that being said, we want to try to maintain confidentiality of what we discuss here, right? This only works if we create a trusting environment where we can talk about this. So we just ask that everybody respect everybody's privacy and really, you know, feel free to, we encourage you to start blasting about how awesome this presentation is going to be right after we're done, right? But anything that somebody shares that, you know, you might feel would be a violation of your own rights if it was shared, if we can just kind of put ourselves in everyone's shoes and not share any of that information, we would really, really appreciate it. So without further ado, I want to start us off with an icebreaker. So what we're going to have you do is in the chat box. So a really important question, you know, because look, every single person on this call is a teacher and we're all learners. We, we have to take that approach going forward. We have to learn from each other. So we want to learn from each other. And the question that we came up with today that really ties nicely into the presentation we're going to have here is what is the most important factor in creating equitable workplaces. Go ahead and just type in a few sentences into the chat box. And I really wanna record this too. And by the way, you all know at the end, you can always download the chat box too, right? So with all these wonderful ideas. So let's just brain dump into the chat box. We have so much experience. I recognize a lot of you. Bring your subject matter expertise into the chat box. Let's see what you got. Oh, Carly, facts, what? Lots of respect, I get that, yeah. I'm kind of enjoying the fact that I'm looking at all these and uh, there's definitely some serious themes here. Respect, accountability, equity. I love that. Pay equity specifically. All good ones. I like that one. Um, Leadership, yeah. safety. Really good ones. Oh, very nice. Collaboration. 
Transparency is just that tool for trust, huh, Sarah? Ooh, Celia. Bathroom to boardroom. <laughs> yeah. If you guys haven't watched Celia's presentation, it is available out on our LinkedIn. Great. And we will share that acronym again at the end just to make sure that you all get it. Great. Thank you so much for those contributions. Some wonderful ideas for all of us to think about. And so I'm going to go ahead and introduce our fabulous presenter today, Sarah Phelps. But before I even tell you about her background, I just got to tell you, some of the, I mean, you know, I wouldn't want to repeat last year if somebody put a bullet to my head, right? I mean, it was just horrible. But I met some of the most amazing people last year. And I mean, basically all of the people that are on the admin team here, I met last year. But Sarah was one of those individuals that I've met last year. And besides just having a beautiful, amazing heart, you know, she truly cares about just making this world a better place. So I think you're really going to enjoy her presentation. She's a teacher a writer, an originator, an instigator. She writes articles on a variety of subjects. The intersection of inner, internal and external experience creation has fascinated her. And she loves to think about why things inspire and why things falter. She has degrees in history, international relations, and she loves to imagine the future. She finds singing irresistible. I love that and didn't know that about you. And but comprehends silence. She believes there's nothing in the human experience that cannot be taught. And if you listen closely to your audience, you can learn, right? She's fulfilled when anyone leaves her with the feeling of being more powerful, being more informed. So Sarah, please take it away. Thank you so much for volunteering your time here today. Yeah, absolutely. I'm super gratified to see so many really great, diverse, interesting faces out there. Um, so thank you for being here. Um, I'm excited to share with you in this place in time, and I want to dive right in so we can maximize this interaction, but um, if we have time at the end of our meeting, I'm glad to answer questions and share why this particular topic is so important to me. So you're probably familiar with my little title there. Um, quickly, our agenda, we're going to talk a little bit about company culture. Uh, what empathy is and is not. We're going to talk about some skills and tools that you need in this kind of work, um, how to bridge intention to action once we have those tools and skills. Um, I'm going to call you all out to some action. I have some reflection on this topic, and then I have a dedication for the group. So without further ado, um, to acquire, engage, maximize, and retain that diverse, resilient, and brave group of participants, whew, you must have a culture that is safe, communicative, and empathetic. This culture enables and empowers people that are not afraid to fail. They learn from failure, and they keep trying while retaining that sense of confidence and purpose. It takes a lot of courage and a lot of support to take a chance and be wrong, but not to feel wrong. So what is empathy? First of all, what is it not? Sympathy is often mistaken for it. Sympathy is a reaction. It is often a reaction of fear. Um, it applies the I to the other person's situation or experience. A lot of times we express that in the ideas of comparison or pity or fixing. Um, gosh, I'm, I'm so sorry your daughter is failing high school, but you know what, it could be so much worse. How many times have we all heard that and how useful is it not? Compassion, on the other hand, is a trait. It is innate. Uh, it is the willingness to give of yourself in some way to alleviate the other person's distress. So we often express compassion when we volunteer time, when we give a material item to help someone else, uh, you know, money, clothes, whatever. Um, or in some cases, when we offer just our being to be there with them. On the other hand, empathy sort of is in between. It is a skill. It can be learned, practiced, and measured. Empathy is the ability to relate to another person or group without that overlay of the self 
and the acquisition of experiential and intellectual markers to guide response. So those are lots of big words that basically say, you know, put yourself in another person's position, but also acquire the skills to be able to do that and to be able to respond to them in a way that is appropriate for that person, not for yourself. So what are some skills? Now, many of these, are often espoused, but not practiced, especially in the workplace, when we are often put in sort of like competition with each other, right? We are often asked to compare ourselves. So building these skills usually needs the guidance of someone who is practiced in them, or in this case, a DEI practitioner is always a good way to go. Um, active listening, for instance, we are asked to discard assumptions, we are not trying to solve anything when we listen. We stop formulating responses as we listen. We simply exist in a listening space. We watch for verbal or physical indicators and we clarify, can you, what's that word, paraphrase while other people are, are done talking. When someone stops speaking, do you have a concept? of what they actually said. Perspective work is kind of difficult actually. And it usually, again, requires that leadership. Review a challenging interaction or situation with your peers. See if they have a different bit of input into it. Consume challenging media. Watch a movie that makes you uncomfortable. Read a book that's way outside your milieu and feels like, I don't know, an insult. There are lots of books out there about white supremacy and a lot of white people are reading them. What are they getting out of them? A guided discussion would really help with that. Rapport, this is the act of finding mutuality, right? This is the act of saying, this is something we share and this is a great place for me to start to approach you. Practice responding in a rapport type manner. Are you responding in a positive and thoughtful way? Discernment, ask questions. Um, discernment is simply the ability to judge, right? So ask questions, be honest. If you don't understand something, say it. If something offends you, say it. Obviously respectfully, as many of you pointed out in our chat, realize that you do not always have to apply judgment to a situation. Sometimes the best act of discernment is discarding it. And finally, follow up. Check in. Notice what's happening with your peers. Express neutral support, which is support that is not attached to expectation. If you know that you have a teammate who is being subtly, uh, let's say, subtly prejudiced against, subtly discriminated against, are you watching that? Are you offering support? Keep following up, check in, simply say, hey, I hope you're having a good day. I'm here if you need me. You have removed from them an onus of having to do something to earn your support. Tools, okay. Some of these are a little facile and I get that, but remember that generally the simplest things are the hardest ones to execute. Workshops, creating space and time indicates importance and allows concentration. DEI work, creating empathy, all of these things require a little bit of buy-in. And when you create that space and time, it tells people this is important and we expect you to learn. Uh, media discussion groups, very simple. A book club, a movie club, what it allows is people who are already slightly defensive to start from a place of shared experience. So you've already removed a single barrier and why not get that leg up? Why not try to start a discussion where everyone at least has shared the experience of a movie? Um, I specifically point these out, five wise fishbone exercise. These are exercises most of us have all learned at work and are using at work, but why not utilize tools that people already know and understand? Again, that removes a barrier 
to what is already going to be a super challenging conversation for a lot of people. Check-ins, peer-to-peer check-ins, leader-to-report check-ins, take a in-person temperature check. If you can do it in person, great. If you need to do it by email, that's almost as great. But make sure you're following up with people and saying, hey, we had this conversation. I'm still kind of thinking about it. Do you have any additional thoughts? How can we connect here? Practice verbal and physical cues. My goodness, eye contact, facial expressions, posture, speed, tone. Build those habits, and if no one in your organization is accomplished at these things, hire an acting coach. This is what they do for a living. I know it seems crazy, but people who act know how to manipulate their audience with their body and with their voice. You're not in an act of manipulation, but you need to be accurately representing how you feel. Sometimes very engaged people sit with their arms crossed and their head down, And that's okay, but what if you had the skill to look up and make eye contact when you need to? The person speaking to you is going to feel so much more heard. Reflection groups? Yeah, obviously. Discuss what's current in the organization. Was there an incident? Is, you know, this is where that transparency piece may come in. Is there something that you need to talk about as a group, a team, an organization? This is a good time to do it. And finally, the Venn diagram. I am a historian by education, so I love the Venn diagram. What you can do is just create circles. Every circle that is a community that you're part of. For instance, for me, I am white. I am female. I am fat. I am from an agricultural background. I uh, believe in intellectualism. I have many, many, many different circles that I'm a part of. So for me and for everyone else on this call, this is going to look like a spirograph, not like a triumvirate, typical Venn diagram. Who is outside your diagram? Figure out the people that live outside. I am not black. That's someone outside my Venn diagram. Great. I need to know more about that experience. I do think I will say this is aided by assessments such as the Clifton Strength Finder or its ilk. Um, Obviously not Myers-Briggs, but that's a topic of debate as well. Um, These are just some ideas and I would definitely adapt skills and tools depending on your audience. I've done this training for salespeople and I've done it for customer service people. It's a different training on empathy. Okay, how do you get from here to there? Oh, we just so want our organization to be practicing empathetic interactions. And how do you get from there to actually doing it? Well, building in that empathy using the skills and tools that we just talked about, it fosters trust. That leads to collaboration. Teammates are going to share information rather than hoard it. And they're going to be willing to take chances because they have built that safety nest net of trust and empathy. Coaching. Coaching becomes more effective, whether it's peer-to-peer coaching, whether it's leader-to-report coaching. Employees are not going to hold on to that fear of being honest. If you are not getting honest feedback in your coaching sessions, you're not coaching. A leader that practices empathy is going to be able to relate and then provide a constructive amount of feedback that is also actionable. This enables things like peer-to-peer mentoring to also get the same feedback because you've seen it in your other power relationship. Empathy enables you to buy into the organizational goals, to the contribution of other people, and gives you a more realistic view of your comparative contribution you are going to be able to relate to the needs of other entities and recognize how they are, how you are meeting them. For better or worse, you'll at least have a more realistic idea of what's happening because the information coming your way is not laced with fear or aggression or anything else. Um, empathy diverts mental and emotional energy towards innovation. 
It diverts it towards team health. When you aren't wasting energy on political posturing, mistrust of others' intentions, and an inability to relate with its basically accompanying frustration, you have time to think about what is and what can be rather than what has been and what should be. And finally, empathy informs every aspect of the organization from talent acquisition to marketing to business development. Communication and strategy are gonna be so much more effective because you will have discarded or at least disincentivized misconception, misunderstanding, and misdirection. So what's our call to action? On one hand, pretty simple, right? If you're an employee, insist on training, but also provide solutions. No one wants demand that requires them to do all the thinking and legwork. Provide the value, the means, and the results. Don't let up. Walk into someone's office, the decision maker's office, and have an idea ready. Say, we only need this budget. This is how we would do it. This is how we would follow up with it. If you are a DEI professional, be realistic in your assessment of organizational readiness. It isn't enough to just collect your money and spend four hours talking about the entire depth and breadth and knowledge it will take to create improvement and create change readiness. No matter who you are, build your toolbox. There is information out there. There is experience out there. Learn it and do it. And of course, model it. Because exhibiting empathy is teaching empathy. We learn from others even when we wish we hadn't. So why not provide an example of an empathetic person? Okay, reflection. The reason I added this is because there are so many aspects to this. Um, empathy is a simple sort of idea and a difficult thing to get a result on. Um, obviously leadership is important. Leaders in any organization at any level needs to need to model that desired behavior. Of course, that's always true. But more than that, leaders must be able to create focus and direction in their teams. They need to be able to mentor, cajole, convince, cultivate the aspects of their organizational values that will lead their team into a courageous, change-ready mindset. So yes, training, education, but also the awareness to call themselves and others out when improvements are needed and the collective will to create consequences around inappropriate behavior. Empathy in this case is both the enabler and the result. And of course, there's another will that's involved, right? You need to be able to put resources. You need to provide the three T's, training, tools, time to your team members. The people in your organization need those things if you want an actionable result. Which brings us of course to investment. How many of us are uh, in organizations that are wanting to you to just write a DEI uh, diversity, uh, I don't know, mission statement for your, but they're not going to put any time in it. There won't be any kind of follow-up on it. They just want it for their website. We all know that these organizations want to bring in a consultant for a single workshop, and that's going to fix everything. We need to impress upon decision makers that this work is vital and it is valuable. We do this by creating realistic expectations, by offering services with realistic timeframes, by insisting on clearly defined goals and values before we begin this work, by continually providing measurements of progress, and by not devaluing our work, the work of anyone else. Yes, DEI work exists in a market, but underselling yourself affects others, devaluing the work of others devalues yourself. We must charge realistic rates. Our time and expertise is valuable. We must change our market in the way that consultants in other fields have done. 
Think about the people who crank out a book and charge $20,000 for a day of work. There's no reason DEI folks can't be thinking along those lines. And finally, the future. This is something I think about a lot. My friends will attest to that. Um, we are leaving from a historical sense, the age of the individual, the postmodern age. The last 30 to 40 years have seen a focus on self-actualization. We sought to know who we are as individuals and then use that knowledge to excel. We are entering the post-postmodern age and I'll let professional historians name it at some point. The focus now is shifting to community. The focus is on connection. It's a predictable result of a global internet age. We, by the way, we exist on multiple, in multiple ages, depending on your academic milieu. Witness the growth of four sector businesses. These are businesses that do business from a value colored, from a place of values. They have a mission and they adhere to it. This is largely driven by millennial and Gen Z desire to participate in the economy through a value colored lens. People want to belong and contribute to communities. They want to put their dollar towards the greater good. This is a factor in most people under 40 who make buying decisions based on values. The problem with community, with connection, is that there are always people who exist outside your sort of Venn diagram, for instance. Our instinct as human animals is to circle our intellectual and emotional wagons and protect ourselves, right? Empathy allows us to create threads that connect to those groups outside of our communities and grow our sense of who we are and where we belong. And stick with me here, because this is even sort of farther into the future. DEI is going to be a major player in the future of work and society. Is our work not about creating understanding, empowerment, and connection, about parity, and eliminating supremacy in every form? This work creates a diaspora of aware individuals that will interact in their jobs and communities in a truly connected way. They will model empathy to other people. They will create movement in the cultural zeitgeist. Our role will continually expand with the exponential growth of AI. It will create non-organic life that is also going to need to adhere to values and create a sense of connection to its creators. And who are those creators? AI reflects the mind of the person that programs it. What if these minds are imbued with a sense of empathy? I'm gonna leave you with my own sense of empathy for all of those on this call who are doing difficult, frustrating, misremunerated, vital work. Please close your eyes. Offer yourself empathy. Release the parameters of who you were yesterday and realize the new person you became today. You are working hard. You are doing your damnedest. You are doing your best and you are making change. You are enough. You will always be enough. Take a minute. Think on something you did today to make it happier, to make it better. And then recognize yourself. You are a force in this world, a force for change, for understanding, and for good. You did this. You created this. You are this. Thank you. That was amazing. Sarah, before I um, take the spotlight off of you, though, I, a real good question came into the chat box. Oh, so yeah, you just stop your share. Um, so Carol Hamilton had this amazing question. How does one measure empathy? See, that's a great question. There are a lot of ways to do it. 
Um, in a customer service, from a customer service standpoint, the way I did it was by creating a very simple post-interaction survey, two questions. Was this interaction helpful? Are you gonna come back? Are you gonna call back? Sometimes it's as simple as that. When you think about team-to-team -team empathy, when you think about um, asking your team to put in the hard work of relating to each other, my suggestion is always to build that in to any interaction you have with leadership. Create certain questions based on your organizational needs that all leaders are asking their reports and all peer-to-peer -peer mentors are discussing and start tracking those results. Use a numerical value, one to 10, one to five, stars, whatever you need to do. Um, those are just two very simple approaches. I am absolutely glad to talk to you about that privately because there are about 400 different ways to do it. Okay, so thank you so much. That was a great um, response, I love it. Another question came through. How would you suggest implementing some of this when you're working remote on your own project? So the reality is that we are all gonna be in this remote space. The interactions that you're having with the public are still measurable. They are still things that can be recorded, right? If something can be recorded, it can be surveyed. So from that aspect, nothing much has changed. But when you're talking about interactions that you're having with peers, where you are generally not getting real-time responses, it's a lot harder. So you need to empower your team to ask honest questions and learn how to put words around honest, but not, um, how do I put this? Not loaded temperature checks. How to ask an honest question in the simplest terms without basically pointing the other person towards the answer you want. Um, and again, that's simply training. Great, great. Another great question. Wow, I am loving these questions. Wow. Anne said, this is awesome. How do we remain empathetic when we're triggered? If the limbic system is running thought and behavior, it can be really challenging to remain empathetic. How do we practice trauma-informed empathy? Wow, great. You don't. What you're doing there is simply putting more pressure on yourself. Somebody's triggering you. They have stepped too far past your boundaries and they have created emotion in yourself for you to say to yourself, I need to put that response aside and try to practice skills and tools. Don't do that. Don't do that. Remove yourself from the situation. If you can ask for time, if you can, and if none of those things are possible, say you're in a meeting, for instance, um, where people are staring at you and they know you've been triggered and they wanna see what you're gonna do, create in your mind your go-to diplomatic response. For instance, my personal go-to diplomatic response is, I really appreciate your input. I do find it offensive. So I'm gonna continue on with the point I was trying to make and I would love to talk to you about this after the meeting. That's my go-to response because it puts that boundary back. You don't owe anyone a response. If somebody is triggering you, unless you are absolutely sure that it's done in an innocent, completely brainless manner, assume that there is some intent there of some kind and you don't owe them that response. So take yourself out of the situation if you can but just have your sort of pre-programmed diplomatic response, so. Great, great. I, I'm gonna just follow up with another question then. Um, how do we use empathy to deal with racist comments with people? You know, I mean, that's a, a topic that we're all dealing with right now, sadly. Um, do we extend yeah. more empathy to ourselves or do we revert to their philosophies to try to communicate? I like that question because the answer is whatever you feel comfortable with. Some days you have all of the money in the bank, if you know what I mean. You have time and energy to invest in educating someone else. And some days you look at them and wish their head would explode. You don't, don't try to force yourself into being um, 
Captain, I'm going to educate you today. If you have time, look at them, think quickly about where they might be coming from. And if you don't know, ask them, why would you say something like that? Because this is what it indicates to me. Sometimes people will be taken aback because they had no idea. But sometimes people will think, well, yeah, that's exactly what I intended. And you need to know that. That's information that you need to have in your in your just mental file box about that person. On the other hand, it's the end of the day, somebody does something that's basically a microaggression towards you. Um, you, you know, say, hey, this incident is kind of pissing me off. This racist thing you said, this racist action you did, like uh, you, I don't know, moved your purse away from me when I sat down next to you. I've seen that happen to some of my black male colleagues. Um, it's okay to say, I, I don't feel good about this. Maybe even if you are in a, the right kind of team, ask for leadership to maybe create a safe space for the three of you to have a discussion about it. Because if they're doing it to you, they're doing it to other people, no question. Yeah, all right. I'm gonna do one more question before we do our breakout session so then you guys can talk and network and so on. Um, are there any? Are there some specific activities you can leave us with or give us some examples that you can do with the group to start this work? Where do we start? The first thing I would do, especially if you are in a team environment, um, let's take the example of you're in a leadership team at some level, is establish that you all want to do this, that you all understand the need to do this, and that you are all willing to commit on paper if need be, commit in some way verbally to each other and to the organization that this is happening, and that I'm gonna do what it takes, including be corrected in public to finish this kind of information, to finish this work, to get it to a point where everyone is operating at this level. Um, so the tool that you need, that I would use here is for your group to create a mission statement and do it together and then everyone sign it. Yes, that seems unnecessarily pedantic. On the other hand, we as a society attribute the act of putting our signature to something as an act of commitment. So start with the low hanging fruit, use the stuff that's already pre-programmed into people's brains to express the import of this kind of, of this kind of work. Awesome, awesome, thank you so much. All right, so I'm gonna do this magical thing and I'm gonna put us all into breakout rooms. I love this part. And so it's all random. I'm not picking anybody on purpose. I'm just throwing you all into a room, all right? But look, here's what we wanna to talk to you about. You know, something, we saw history happening yesterday, right? I mean, really huge history. So we want you to talk about, you know, share with the group, you know, there'll be about five or six people per room. How did that inauguration, if you watched it, how did it make you feel? And you know, look, we're going to be having difficult conversations outside of here. So let's do it when we're in here. How do we show empathy when we're talking to somebody who feels the opposite than you do? All right. So please pick one person from each group to kind of report back some strategies because we need some strategies and we've got too many brains here. I want to take advantage of this opportunity. So please just pick one person to come back and share those with us because, look, we're all learning this together. All right, Enrique, my twin, you want to lead us, lead us off with the discussion here? What were some of the brilliant ideas your group came up with? You know, well, in the group, we were just discussing the event, what, how we felt and how different people felt. Uh, and, the, and the question came up is, can we be empathetic with the other side or are we willing to be <laughs> empathetic with the other side? Um, and I just shared uh, at, the, at the last bit of it that we just need to remember when, when, when it comes to empathy, it's not a feeling that you're ready to accept what they are. 
but to understand that we all have faults and failures. Some things that they're challenged with in this case may be, you know, racial equality. Others are challenged with lying to someone. <laughs> Others are challenged with stealing, you know, whatever the moral compass may be, but we all are growing. We all are learning. And that should give you at least an opportunity to say, you know what, maybe they just don't know enough, right? Because we, we know, but enough to get them over the hump to be, uh, you know, equitable. Uh, and so uh, it, was, it was great. We were discussing, uh, and I was uh, kind of holding my breath every minute I was watching, like, oh, Lord, don't let nothing bad happen here. Oh, this looks like a moment, uh, you know, don't, you know. Uh, and, and, and it was exhausting. Uh, I, I was happy. We were happy for the most part. But it was exhausting. It was exhausting. Thank you, Enrique. See, this is why you're my twin, because we go on the same page. All right, who had the, who else had their hands up? I saw a hand and then it went down. Um, Sarah and Mark, do you have your hand up or you're just clapping? <laughs> oh, Paul, there we go. You've got the stage, Paul. Ah, thank you very much. Hello, everybody. We had much of a similar conversation. Uh, we all began uh, speaking about how relieved and happy we were yesterday. But then we have to recognize that uh, voices, you know, the, the pot has, the lid has been taken off the pot and, you know, people have a voice now. And that's actually, we determined a good thing because you can't speak to or have empathy for something that you don't know. Uh, and I, and I, I started off by saying, I don't know if I can have empathy for people who are so divergent in the way that they think from I am. And Bridget brought up a very good point and, and said, you know, there, there's no, there's nothing, there's no selective empathy. And I really liked that. It really made me step back and think, all right, I need to understand how I engage with people. Um, and, and the way I've engaged has been to cut, cut them out. And now we need to, to move forward. We need to listen. We need to humanize the the people that we're engaging with and not just look at it from an ide ideological perspective and that's our way to move forward um, so i learned a very good lesson from my group and i appreciate that very much and i'm very happy to bring that back because um it really put a new a new put me in a new mindset about how to speak to some family members very honestly so it was a great session thank you all Thank you, Paul. I love that. No selective empathy. Wow. That's powerful. I need to like marinate that and sit on that for a while and really understand that. That's deep. Carol, you're up. So we were just talking about uh, initially taking a breath because this has been an incredible buildup and the rhetoric has gotten bigger and the intention has gotten bigger over the past year. And so initially the idea that you're gonna bring everybody joyfully to the table is really unlikely. But one of the strategies was to be sure that we're not taking victory laps. If we all, for those of us who were dancing yesterday, remember what it felt like four years ago, um, I, that was a horrific thing to be facing. And I, and I am not wanting to participate in having other people feel that way based on my behavior. I also believe that there are a number of people who got swept up in, in the moment who, if given a chance to calm down, if given a chance to settle in, are, are not going to stay there. I think that that was a temporary state. That's a mob, mob think. And I think that we can bring them back by not making it hard to come back so that they can go, you know, and we saw a lot of this after, after the Capitol where they went, what was I thinking? And you go, yeah, okay, I don't need you to, you know, apologize because that's going to push it too hard. But I do need you to come back this way. And now don't tell me that you're, that you're sorry. Demonstrate you have a different sense of things. And um, that to me feels like that's the place where my empathy is going to be the most powerful. And I think our group was talking about also just allowing ourselves some chance 
to breathe because this has been a long time. And for many of us, we've been pretty much holding our breath for four years, wondering if we're safe on the streets, wondering if we're okay, wondering if our beloved friends and neighbors are safe. And so this is, this has been a big deal. It's been really hard. Yeah, thank you so much, Carol. Steve, you're up. So um, um, I missed one person in our group. It was with Stacy Kelson, Lloyd Knutson, and Brian Kelly. And was it Anne? Is that right? Um, anyway, we came up with uh, several strategies that we talked through. Um, one was um, to just ask questions so that help me understand your point of view, put you in a position of advocating for your position. Um, to be curious, but not furious. That was a that was an interesting way of putting this. Um, to be to engage with dispassionate curiosity, and to 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 really try to find commonalities that you both share, so that you're not just focused on the differences, but you're you can start to develop a connection that goes beyond that initial um, statement. It was Wendy that was part of our group. <laughs> Wendy Lee, sorry. <laughs> Anyway, um, so we had a really wonderful conversation, and I think uh, yeah, these these strategies are are something that we can um, engage in helping confront those situations where there's that level of angst when somebody's going to come at you in a certain way. I shared with my group, which um, I took time writing before I could bring my thoughts together. But yesterday's inauguration, I was filled with a lot of gratitude, with complete. Um, compassion, I would say, is the word I would go with. So I feel like um, during Amanda Gordon's poetry, I could not do anything but just stand up and actually like, you know, like give love and respect to the girl for her story that she was speaking for a lot of people of color, a lot of people of different ethnic background. And uh, what I feel that I would do to teach someone who is in a divergent mindset of me, I would say is that I would practice compassion and hopefully, hopefully bring awaken that emotion of compassion in them because eventually, if I'm practicing compassion with myself, I will bring that awareness to someone else. So I think like I was sharing in the group that eventually we all bleed the same. We all are same you know, flowers of different colors in a garden. Eventually we have the fragrance, which is our soul. We all are connected. And at the same time, when we come across um, this shallow mindset and people who are very narcissist, um, sometimes we cannot go through them. But I think that um, going through compassion is the only way in situations like that because nothing else really prevails, you know? So it's nonviolent. And I know it takes a long patience and time, but I feel like if we can do it for ourselves, why can't we do it with someone else? So that's great share. Thank you so much. May I quickly respond to that? Yeah, sure. Please. Karuna, I absolutely agree with you. And I love the imagery of flowers in a garden. The only thing I will say is be careful about your self dialogue of labeling other people as anything um, because it may be that they're not coming from a place of say narcissism. It may be because they are genuinely concerned about some specific, like I have a friend who's very concerned about abortion. So that colors everything she does. Yeah. Even though it's expressing as basically narcissism. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, that's certainly not censure on my part, I know that I have to do that myself because when I think about the people on the opposite side from me, I certainly have words that I apply to them. So I'm learning. I'm, I make mistakes and I don't mind owing to say saying something that may not be right, but I'm here to learn. And thank you. And I, and I love what you said, though. It, it, it really is just a beautiful share. So thank you. Steve, did you have your hand up? Well, I was just saying that um, um, the uh, um, uh, the statement about Amanda Cooper, Gorman, um, Anderson Cooper just re just had a wonderful interview with Amanda. You should check it out on, on YouTube. It, if you thought she was great just reading her poem at the inaugural services, you should watch this video and you will develop 
an enormous sense of this woman is an amazing young uh, American and and she is going to be, she, I, I just find such great um, optimism in the future of young people by seeing women like her and the things that she's bringing to American society. So check out that that interview, it's, it's amazing. Did anybody else wanna share anything before we close out? Hi, it's Jamie. Um, I wanted to say, I, um, Karuna, thank you for um, speaking about um, protecting yourself because um, I was at um, Brene Myers' um, talk when she was talking about the work she's doing with LinkedIn. And she said that there are some people that um, she can't spend her energy on. Mm-hmm. And, and you know who those people are and go and, you know, like whatever your, your gut is telling you, you know, to trust that. So, yeah, I just wanted to say that. Thank you. All right. Well, on that note, thank you everybody so much for joining us and being just valuable contributors to our, what we're trying to accomplish here is that we each treat each other with dignity and respect. That's what we all want. That's all everybody is asking for, right? Any of you have any ideas or, you know, we've got our speakers lined up. I couldn't believe it how many volunteers were already set all the way till March. But if anybody has any feedback or suggestions about topics, ideas, things you would like for us to, we're, you know, we welcome that. Welcome that. So feel free to connect with me, Sarah, um, Chris Lynn, Joseph Motes. I'll send, I'll put a list of all the people because I'm going to do a post after we get off. Feel free to connect with any one of us if you have any suggestions on what you'd like to see at these meetings. We want it to be productive for everybody. Thank you again so much for being here and being present with us. And let's let's all continue to do this hard work and let's be there to support each other as we all do it because it is hard sometimes. And I love what Sarah said. Let's give ourselves empathy too. We all deserve to do that for ourselves too. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a wonderful evening. We'll see you next week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you again for tuning in to our Leaders for Equity, Allyship and Diversity conversation here on the Leading People First podcast. We hope you can join us next time live as we come together to support, share, learn, activate, and empower to make a difference in the world. Again, you can find us on LinkedIn. Our group, again, is called Leadership for Equity, Allyship, and Diversity. All of these meetings are happening on Thursdays at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 4.30 p.m. Pacific Time. Don't forget to click that subscribe button to hear more of our conversations moving forward. And if you found value in this conversation, especially around empathy like I did, make sure you share this episode with someone who's looking to transform and really learn to lead more with empathy. We're so excited you've joined us in this movement. Let's go out into the world and lead together. Stay awesome.